You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. That was all right. That was all right. Well, it's good to be here with you on this Sunday right before Christmas. It's the closest we get to Christmas Sunday, except for baby Christmas Eve coming up here. That's not... Sunday. All right, anyway, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're visiting at home online right now, tuning in with us, giving us a little bit of your time today. And uh, I don't know about any of you, but I love science. Anybody else in here love science? Both of you, all right. <laughs> but here's the problem. My first C ever was in science. And I thought, there's a problem here. Something's not clicking for me, and it didn't get any better as I went. I wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid, and then God kept giving me Cs. I blame him, and uh, so that I quickly realized this wasn't going to be for me. But as you dig into science, and you dig into the Christmas story, you start to see something unique is happening at this Christmas. Now, if you've heard about this or not, but tomorrow is something called the Bethlehem Star. Have you guys heard about the Bethlehem Star yet? This is where Jupiter and Saturn are aligning. I think it's within, I think this year it's six arcs is what they call it which means it's going to be really close, about the, I think it's a fifth the size of the moon, closeness to each other, so where they'll be lined up, and it'll look bright. Some are saying you'll be able to see it with the naked eye. Some people are saying, no, you'll still need binoculars, telescopes, something to be able to see it. But regardless, the reason they call it the Bethlehem Star is there's a reason to believe that somewhere around 6 BC, uh, these stars aligned three times in the same year which could have been the sign to these magi or wise men who were coming from afar, who were looking up into the stars and going, I think a king is gonna be born. And they began this journey that would take them continuing east, east, east until some miraculous star pointed them to the very place where Jesus was born. Did you know that? Now you like science, don't you? That's why it's nicknamed the Bethlehem Star. Now, we can't be certain if that's actually what happened. It's just kind of cool when you study your Bible and you open up a science book that there are times that these things go, hey, wow, that's really neat. Did you know? And I want to show you one of those kinds of things today. Have you ever tried to just wrap your mind around, though, just how awesome God is? That's the kind of message we're going to have today. We're going to try to wrap for a brief moment our little puny forgive me if you're extremely intelligent, finite minds around an infinitely powerful, infinitely awesome God. And the way that I want to get there is I'm going to begin by taking us to a text in uh, Psalm chapter 8, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 3, it says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I don't, I'm looking up there going, I don't know why this says Genesis 1, 26. That's just a typo. This is definitely Psalm chapter eight, verse one and three. But how majestic is your name? So the writer of the Psalms, this one's probably David, he's sitting there looking up at the stars and he's going, wow, whoever made those must be awesome. And the moon, then he turns over and he's, wow, and that really big ball over there, whoever made that must be powerful. I don't know if you know this. Let's just start with where the psalmist starts for a minute, the moon, the moon. Did you know this, that the moon is a bit more than one-fourth the size of the earth? Did you know that? You're looking up there, you're like, no, it's about a quarter. No, it's about a fourth of the size of the earth, 27%, give or take. The moon, did you know this, is 252 thousand and eighty eight miles from the earth did you know that at its what we call its apogee 
It's apogee means the peak point where it's furthest from us. See, that's what you look at, and that's about how it looks to you, but it's literally sitting 252,088 miles away. In fact, it is so far away that you can squeeze every single planet in our solar system between the Earth and the moon if you turn Saturn sideways. Did you know that? Okay, let that sink in for a minute, because when I saw that, that blew my mind. Because that was the moment that I went, wow, this thing, really big, really far away. It feels so close that you could just reach out and touch it, but it's not. It is so far away, you could squeeze all these planets in there, and depending on who does the math and the estimation, you could do that with a few thousand miles to spare. Obviously, it's leaving out Pluto, but we'll talk about that some other time. So... After the psalmist looks up in the sky and sees the moon, he decides not just the moon, but the stars. I don't know if you know how big the stars are, but let me just bring you up to speed real quick. This is probably what it would have looked like for David to stare up at the sky. Did you know that that's what it looks like? You can't really see that up there on that screen. So if you just look up here, hopefully you can see all of these dots. This here is the band of what we call the Milky Way. This here is probably the black hole that sits at the center of our solar system and you can't see any of it because of light pollution. This is not a comment about ecosystems or ecology or anything like that. As somebody who lived in Colorado, though, if there are certain mountains you go up on and you get far enough away from all the cities and the sun goes down and you stare up, you don't see all of that, but you see a whole lot more than you see here where there's light pollution coming from Indiana and even Chicago and other places. And all of a sudden you go, Hey, I didn't know there were all those up there. Well, that's what the psalmist is looking up into the sky, and he's praising God. He's going, wow, when I just consider the moon and the stars, I am in awe of just how majestic you really are. Did you know there are something like 10 to the 11 or 10 to the 12 stars in our galaxy alone? That's the Milky Way. That makes between 100 billion and a trillion, you know, give or take a star. That's just in ours. No, go back. Don't go there yet. We'll go there in a second. Go back for a second. So when you think about it, there are tons of stars in our galaxy. Tons would not be enough. A hundred billion to a trillion. I just want to give you an idea of just how big our solar system really is. So here is a picture. This is artistic drawing because, I don't know if you know this, nobody's actually gone far enough in space to take a picture of it. So this is theoretically the black hole at the center of our uh, Milky Way galaxy. It's called a spiral because it spins like a spiral. We are somewhere out here and different people approximate exactly where we are. All of these are approximations. We're somewhere out here. We're not anywhere close to there. If you were to start at one tip of our Milky Way galaxy and travel to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, it would be, they estimate, 100,000 light years across. You're like, okay, well, maybe it's because you don't know how far light travels in a year. Did you know that light travels 5.88 trillion miles a year? Almost 6 trillion miles a year. So if you were to hop in your kind of car do you drive, your, your Chevy, okay, you're up, let's just make it a Corvette. You hop in your Corvette, and you go ahead and drive the speed of light, because we know they got those new engines in them for 2021, and you were to travel across the Milky Way galaxy at the speed of light, six trillion miles a year, it would take you 100,000 years just to get across 
our Milky Way galaxy and hope you don't get sucked into the black hole in the middle. Now, you can't even approach the speed of light because the speed of light is a photon and it's massless and it will blow your mind if you start to study that bad boy because you can't go there. Why? Well, because you'd catch on fire. You would become a beam of light. It would be impossible. It is so big, our Milky Way galaxy, you can't even wrap your head around it and it's, oh, by the way, is one of billions of galaxies. Now go to the next picture. And you probably can't even see this. This is an actual photo from Hubble. Hubble took this, and if you see like where the, the light there is stretched out like that, these are other galaxies in our universe. So all the while, we've been looking up into the sky and some of what we've been seeing is stars, some of what we've been seeing is like nebula, and some of what we've been seeing is actual galaxies in other places far, far away. There are somewhere between 10 to the 11th or 10 to the 12th power galaxies in our universe, making the grand total of stars, as best as we can estimate it today, somewhere around 10 to the 22nd or 10 to the 24th power stars in the universe. That's a septillion. A septillion is a one with 24 zeros after it. They can't make the 24 small. Well, I guess they did. Back there, it doesn't look like it. So 10 to the 24th power, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. Hey, they got it. Okay, 24. 24 zeros. That's bigger than um, how much you spent on Christmas this year by a little bit. That's bigger than the national debt of America by only a couple trillion. Uh, it's huge. That's what the psalmist was looking up at and trying to wrap his head around the awesomeness of God. How about you? When was the last time you did that? Now, science lesson is almost over, but not quite. I want to make one last point because I don't think you really get how big that is. I'm going to take a, a quick guess in the room. So if you're at home and you're sitting with anybody else right now, you could tell them. If you're sitting by yourself, you could post it in the chat below. Ready? If you were to count one number, no pulling out a calculator, no Googling. If you were to pull, count one number per second from the day you were born to the day you died, how far would you get? Just to give an idea, ready? On three, yell out your number. One, two, three. Nobody wants to be bold enough to yell out a number. Let's try this one more time, ready? Yell out your number, ready? One, two, three. Somewhere in the six billion range, depending on how generous you are with how long you will live, if you could count one number per second and never take a potty break. Never go to sleep, somewhere around six billion. In fact, if you wanted to count to a trillion and you could actually get one number in per second, because you know, it's not hard when you go, one, two, three, four, five, six, okay, fine. But when you get up to like 4,965 and then you get up to like 8,432, the numbers start getting longer and longer and longer and harder to repeat within one second. If you could do that, it would take you 37,000, nope, sorry, it's at the wrong, 32,700 years just to count to one trillion. Are you with me? If you were to count every second, every day for 32,700 years, you would get to one trillion.
By the way, the national debt of the United States is approaching somewhere that somebody said 14 trillion, but that's another sermon for another day. Now, just to give you another idea, if you were to do that one trillion times, that's a septillion. And the scriptures tell us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke with just a word from his mouth and stars, galaxies, and nebula, and planets started forming all over the place. I was meeting recently with a guy who's struggling to come to faith in Jesus as he's described by the Bible. I started to anticipate the questions that he was going to ask. And I started to say something like, look, I know the Bible is full of some weird stories. You know, you've got dead people raising to life. You've got, you know, people who are hurt or lame or deaf or blind and they're instantly healed. You've even got like a talking donkey. You've got a moment in the Old Testament where the Bible says the sun stood still in the sky. And science will tell us today it is impossible. You can't do that. And I said, look, I get it. And I said, don't, don't start there with all those stories. I said, start at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. If you can wrap your head around, did a man named Jesus come into the earth? Was he actually born? Did he actually live? Did he actually die? Did he actually raise the dead? Is there enough evidence for us to believe that? You can work your way backwards to some of those weirder stories that you read about. And he looked at me and he said, Matt, I'm just going to be honest. If I can get to the first step to believe that a God actually put all those stars in place, the rest of that ain't going to be a problem for me. And I thought to myself, this guy's closer to faith than he realizes. Because when he looks at the stars and the moon and the sky, and he studies the depth and the breadth and the bigness and the magnitude and the majesty, as the Psalm 8 calls it, as he studies all of that, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt if there's somebody out there that created that, he's big enough to do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Yeah, you can clap for God. I hope that's for God. But see, that faith is critical to understanding the Christmas story. That faith is important because if you don't get that, you don't get anything else. I'll just give you one last one that I hope blows your mind just a little bit because it blew mine. Did you know that if you were to turn down all the lights in your local cities, you would be able to, if you could count them, see roughly 9,096 stars with the naked eye? That's it. Out of whatever septillion, you would see 9,000. That's it. Hubble could see a few more, and these are best up, based off estimates. This is a picture of just one part of the sky. Now, I am no astronomer, no science expert. I did the best research that I could do in a week. And I believe, I could be wrong. If you know I'm wrong, feel free to text or email me, and I'll correct it for next service. I believe this is UY Scuddy. Used to be known as the largest star in the sky. Not, it is necessarily the largest. It was the largest that we knew of. But then somewhere up here in this cluster, we recently discovered something called Stevenson 218. I don't even know which one it is. I, I, I can't tell. I only know that if our estimates are correct, it is 18,900 light years away. Again, you'd have to travel the speed of light for 18,900 years to reach that bad boy. If you were to take 
it's what we call solar radii. So that's how wide the sun is around, you know, in our galaxy, right? Or our solar system, you think about that. If you were to place it where our sun is, it would go all the way out to Saturn. That's how big it is. And you may not know anything. You're like, well, is that like, you know, a couple miles away? Like, how far are we talking here? It's a long ways away. And here's why that's powerful. When the Christmas story tells us that a star rested over top of the building, pointing the Magi to this newborn king, scientists have said forever that's impossible. It can't be done. It's never happened in the history of the world. All I know is if the God we're talking about is big enough to do that, he's big enough to do whatever he desires to do. So the question isn't, did it happen or could it happen? I guess the question is, do you believe that it happened? Is there reason to believe that something radical happened 2,000 years ago? The greatest minds in the world are studying these things, and in the very least, some of the greatest mathematicians and chemists are going, I don't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible, either the Jewish Old Testament or the Christian New Testament interpretation of those texts. But I know this, it could not have all happened on accident. There has to be some being out there who is putting the pieces in place. Now, the thing that I find most fascinating, and I realize this is a hotly debated topic for those of you who are into this kind of thing, is in all of our experimentation, we have yet to discover life outside of this little planet. Perhaps someday we will. But I know this. Roughly 2,000 years ago, the one who created all of that let us know just how important we are to him. Because he stepped out of heaven, not the heavens, out of heaven, this unseen realm, and he came to earth to reveal to you his love. And it's been life-changing ever since. See, God is awesome. And what you need to know is beyond anything else, he cares deeply for you. That's why the psalmist, in Psalm 8, 4, he goes on, he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. The psalmist is just pondering the moon and the stars and goes, man, when I think about you, you gotta be so big and so awesome to do that. Why are you even concerned with little old me? Did you know that there are more suicide and more suicide attempts between now and the end of the year than the rest of the year combined? Why? Because somewhere along the way, the sorrow and the pain of this time of the year sets into people's hearts and lives. The loneliness, the anxiety that some people are carrying, the burden that some people are feeling, the closing out of the year, and especially in a COVID-wrecked 2020. Hasn't 2020 been the hardest 10 years of your life? It has been rough. But it makes people feel like maybe their life isn't important. Like maybe nobody cares. Like maybe nobody's tuned in. Like maybe nobody's paying attention. But the psalmist looks up at the stars and he says, man, I'm so unimportant, I'm so irrelevant, and yet, and yet, you care about me. Why do you care about me? I don't understand. 
When we get into the New Testament, roughly a thousand years or so after that psalm was written, we see this small, poor couple in the middle of nowhere, a town called Nazareth. For those of you who don't know, Nazareth is podunk nowhere in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cares about Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. People ponder this for years. How can anything good come from Nazareth? It is like Fill in the blank where you can think of Indiana or Illinois or somewhere like that. It is nowhere on a map. But God comes to this young teenage girl and says, by the way, you're pregnant. I know that's not scientifically possible, but you're pregnant. Don't worry, it's a miracle. And then when her husband finds out she's pregnant, he's like, well, she must have been unfaithful to me. But it's not her husband yet. See, they're betrothed. It's not an engagement by American standards. A betrothal is very similar, except for the couple would have effectually been married even though they hadn't actually had the date. So if one of them were to break their faithfulness in any way, it was considered the same as a divorce. And that culture was very, very, very frowned upon. She could have been ostracized and publicly mocked and made fun of. It's a big deal. And he finds out she's pregnant, assumes somehow she's been unfaithful because that's how the science works and goes, you know what? Because I understand in this small town what's going to happen to her, I'm not going to divorce her publicly. I'll divorce her quietly and privately so that nobody does to her a terrible thing. And an angel of the Lord ends up coming to that guy, his name is Joseph, and says, hang on a minute, Joseph. And what it tells us a little bit about is that Joseph is an honorable man because he cares about Mary even though he's hurt by Mary. Notice in Matthew chapter 1, Verse 20, it says, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now stop there for a second. The name Jesus here is actually the word Yeshua. I'm sorry. Our old mic broke, and we had to get a new one. For those of you who are wondering why we're doing this, we got a new one coming, but we got to deal with this one until it gets there. All right. The name Yeshua is almost identical to the name Yehoshua. Yehoshua is the name for a guy, Joshua. If you don't know your Old Testament, no big deal, but it's so powerful. Joshua is the leader who followed Moses, who took the people into the promised land, and his name means God saves. So when God names his son, Jesus, Yeshua, it's not an accident. It's like putting up a banner for every Israelite who sees it and goes, huh, that is strangely close to that other leader who took them into the promised land. It's no surprise then when John the Baptist shows up a little later in the story that he's in the river that the Israelites had to cross to get into the promised land, that very river, and he's baptizing and saying, a new day is here. Prepare your heart. Prepare your life. The Savior has come because he's pointing into an Old Testament story that points to a New Testament story. And God has sprinkled like all these Easter eggs at Christmas for you to be able to find and go, huh, That's not an accident. That's not an accident. That's not an accident. That's not an accident. God is doing something. And he's still doing it today. It's not an accident that you're listening to this message. It's not an accident that God is building your faith. It's not an accident that God is trying to get your attention and say, is it possible? So literally, this prophecy comes out of the book of Samuel. Not Samuel, sorry, Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied roughly 750 years earlier that the virgin will conceive of a child. 
And now Matthew, many years later, a tax collector. And he's going, it happened. And the word Emmanuel literally means God with us. The God big enough to put Stevenson 218 out there, roughly 11,000 or so light years away, that God came near. The God big enough to go ahead and put a septillion stars somewhere out there, that God took on flesh and came near to a poor girl in the middle of nowhere and her husband. This blew Mary's mind. Blew Mary's mind. When the angel showed up and said, God's chosen you. Like, I wonder if there was ever a moment where Mary went, can I veto, can I vote against that choice? I mean, yeah, let's go ahead. You're gonna be the mother of the savior of the world. He's gonna be perfect, to be terrible. <laughs> You'll watch him die on a cross. But it won't be the end of the story. Instead, Mary actually is so overwhelmed with joy. Do you know what she does? She stops and sings. Luke chapter one, verse 46, it says this. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been, where's that word there again? Mindful, do you see it? He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for who? For me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She goes on. Her song is longer than that. But she's so overwhelmed by the glory of God, by the majesty of God, and by his care for her, she just busts out and starts singing a song. Like, you'd make fun of people that did that today. It's like watching a Disney movie, right? Like, what are we singing about here? Anything and everything. But Mary is singing about the creator of the universe, fashioning a baby inside her, miraculously. And I get it. You may be sitting there thinking, this is why I think Christianity is so stupid, because the story's like this. And all I know is, if there is a God who created the universe, he's big enough to do that too. It's not that hard to get there. But the last thing that Mary says is so powerful. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Why is fear such a big deal? Why does it matter? Did you know that the Bible actually says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Really, if you want to be a wise person on this earth, fear God first. But why is that? And here's the simple reality that Mary knew that we knew. You will live your life for whatever you fear. Now, you may be thinking, I don't even know what that means, pastor. Well, here's very simply what that means. It's hard, but it's easy. It means this. <laughs> if you are afraid of not being enough, you will work hours and hours and hours a day to prove to everybody else that you have what it takes. If you're afraid of not fitting in, you will spend a septillion dollars. Well, probably not, but you will spend a large amount of money to have a bigger this, a nicer that, a certain look or feel about you so that others believe you are good enough. If you're afraid of being alone, you may manipulate or lie in order to fit in, not even being real to who you are. You might even be afraid to tell the truth about certain things because you're afraid you won't be accepted. You see how this works? And you could play this out in about 10 different ways. If you're afraid of not being seen as a good mom, you'll spend all of your time and energy trying to make sure your kids are happy, even if it means ruining their lives. 
If you're afraid that uh, your kids might have been able to become something if they just would try a little harder, you might push and drive and push and drive until they are thoroughly depleted. Whatever you fear, you will live your life for. So go back to the last verse for a second. So when Mary says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, what is she getting to? She's getting to the whole idea that the hope of all of mankind has come into the world. Jesus, when we say every Christmas, Jesus came to save, you've got to realize the depth of that is far deeper than you or I really want to acknowledge. God came to help us understand that we are in a battle for our souls. And our souls long to be fulfilled. They long to worship. God created us to worship. And so we will worship whatever we fear. And if we don't fear him, then we'll fear something else. And therefore, we will worship it, trying to get it to do for us what we want for it to do. And when it fails us, we'll keep looking and striving and trying. And it gets harder and harder and darker and darker. And this is why Romans 1, Paul writes in Romans 1, God handed them over to their choices and they became separated from God in their mind and in their bodies because they just kept getting further and further from him. But the moment that it dawns on them and the moment that it dawns on me and the moment that it dawns on you that maybe I don't have to keep getting further from God. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another answer. Maybe if I replace whatever it is in my heart that's driving me with God himself, maybe I will actually find all that I need there. And Mary goes, thank you for being mindful of me. And I'm going to guess Mary had no idea exactly what she was dealing with yet. So, What does all of this have to do with Christmas? I don't know about you, but I have this sneaky suspicion. As we did some family pictures this week, I probably should have put one of those up there. We did some family pictures this week, and we had um, Sweet Brooke come over to our house. She sings on stage here. She's awesome. And uh, she just took some family photos, and uh, we're all matchy and cheesy and, you know, that Hallmark family. And, um, and uh, right there behind us is a Christmas tree, and every family member, friend, neighbor, we haven't given like any Christmas presents yet, and they're all sitting there under the tree, and I'm thinking to myself, I am such a hypocrite. I don't really feel like a hypocrite because we still bought presents for people that we love, but I was sitting thinking to myself, it is so easy to get sucked into this and to miss that. I want you to know that God cares for you, but I want you to know that God's care for you isn't just a feel-good, man, you hear it on Christmas and go home kind of year. No, no, no. God cares for you in such a profound way that he longs to transform you. That's what he's in for. John actually calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he actually writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse, what is it, verse 18. He says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, I, I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I just want to make this really quick point for you here. There's no fear in love. Well, you just said that God's mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I fear God first, what happens is I put him first. When I realize nothing else in the world can satisfy, I place him first. And when I do that, then I realize there's no reason to be afraid. Because God doesn't long to hurt me. 
He doesn't long to crush me. He doesn't long to punish me. He doesn't long to discipline me. He longs to bless me. He longs to meet my needs. He longs to see me flourish. He longs to see me thrive. He longs to see me cared for. He longs to see me fulfilled. And he knows he's the only one who could do that for me. So if I'm still afraid of God and the sense that I'm like, oh God, what am I gonna do with you? That means that I've not been made perfect in his love. That means there's work left for him to do in my heart. So if at Christmas, I don't come to him to receive all joy and pleasure and hope and peace and life. That means that there's still a part of me that's afraid he's going to crush me under the hand to put the stars in their place. But instead, what God wants to do is he wants to transform me. He wants me to realize. He wants you to realize. He wants to do something in you and through you that is so good that it brings peace to your home. Peace to your heart when someone gets COVID. Peace to your bank account when you're stressed about whether it's going to work out. Peace to your mind when you feel unloved and uncared for. Peace to every area of your life. Here's what I want to do right now. I don't know if this message strikes you in any particular way, but as I was writing this, I was just in awe again of the majesty of God. Some of you don't have that peace. You're running around stressed out, burned out, frustrated because you're still trying to make it work, whatever the it is. And I wanna invite you into a relationship with a God who created the stars and put them in their place and he created you and he loves you and he cares for you. And I wanna invite you to receive him as both Lord and Savior on this Christmas. At the end of the service, if that's you, we're going to have some people down here that will be wearing, I think, purple shirts. They say connect on them. You can just come up to one of them and say, you know what? I don't even understand what this means right now, but I need Jesus. And we'd love to explain to you what that means. If you're sitting at home, and we realize right now the vast majority of people watching this are at home, and it might not even be Sunday morning. It might be Sunday night or throughout the week. And you're watching this. We've put a little number together. So at any point you're watching this, you can say, you know what? I need Jesus. Just text us, 317 565-4911. You could just text the word connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. That's our joke here on staff. And just see what it means to have the peace of God in you. But I want to do this. This is all about worshiping fully. Did you know that when the angels break onto the scene of the shepherds in the Christmas story, did you know what they start doing? They bust out in song. Because when we understand just how awesome God is and how much he cares for us, We're just like the psalmist in 8, verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name. The name of the one who saves. The name of God with us. The name Jesus. So I want to do that right now. I want us to stand and we're going to sing to the God whose name is so majestic that we can't help but sing to him. Why don't you stand? I'll pray and we'll sing. Father God, Lord, I pray right now. Lord, there are so, <laughs> you are so big and so powerful and so awesome. Lord, I pray that you would anchor in our hearts today how special that is. The same God who could speak the universe into being with the word of your mouth is the same God who took on flesh to dwell among us is the same God who's pursuing us today to live 
with us and in us today to love us and care for us and meet our needs today. And I pray every man and woman and child in this place would see that and know that and feel that and believe that. God, I pray for anybody out there who is wrestling with sorrow and grief and depression right now. May they just feel your arms wrap around them and hold them close. God, I pray for anybody out there who is striving so hard in this world to impress and to be enough. God, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them and say, you are enough because you're mine. And I pray for anybody out there, God, who has lost sight of just how big and awesome you are. I pray that you would wrap your arms around them and just whisper to them, I've got you. And Lord, in all ways and at all times, may you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.